Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Simply Vegan podcast with me, Holly Johnson, and my co-host, Gabriella Clark. Each week, we discuss the latest vegan news, taste test new products and chat to some of the leading names in veganism. So here we are, week week nine. Um, no one's kicked us off, Gabriella, so I presume we're doing okay. <laughs> nine weeks in, I'm impressed. <laughs> I am. I've really enjoyed doing it and um, we're going to take it up to Christmas and then we're going to start, we're going to kick off with a new season for the January hopefully for all those new vegans and we'll be able to share lots of tips in the new year so looking forward to that perfect so I thought I would start this episode just mentioning the news this week that it looks like um live transportation from and through England and Wales is going to be banned which is just so fantastic I mean I know there's a lot more work to do we've you know there's there's always so much more that we can be doing to help animals and stop their suffering but this is a cause that's really really close to my heart I follow Compassion in World Farming on um, Facebook and I donate regularly to them and I really support their work I think you know it's fantastic what they do to campaign for um, for the animals so yeah I was so happy to wake up to a bit of good news this week after the year that we've had um, so yeah I think there's a consultation taking place now but it looks likely it will will go ahead and you know let's just pray that kind of some of the countries in Europe might follow. Amazing news really fantastic news and great to see such a step forward in terms of regulation as well. Yeah So we're going to do some more taste tests this uh, episode, aren't we? We We, are. (laughs) We've been eating a lot again. (laughs) We have. (laughs) This is not good. Um, So Christmas ranges now, we're going to be doing each week in the run up to Christmas. So we've got Tesco's range. We we contacted the lovely Derek Sarno, who we love, um, to um, organise the Tesco range to arrive this week so we can bring you that in in the next episode but this week we were taste testing the new range at Morrison's Um, not the complete range just um, a few choice bits so we tested the no pigs in blankets the no beef wellington and the vegan trifle so should we start with the the sausages they they might be sort of you might have them with your roast dinner or you might have them Perhaps it's a little appetizer on a tray, glass of mm. champagne. <laughs> what did you think? Yeah. 
So in terms of the the sausages, I thought they were great, really uh, delicious, great size, great texture, um, just a, a great vegan alternative to a little tasty cocktail sausage that you would usually find wrapped in bacon for your pigs in blankets. Personally, I wasn't so impressed with the bacon. Um, more for me at the moment, there's a couple of, of great vegan bacon brands out there available in supermarkets and the bacon or facon, I suppose, around these pigs in blankets were just tasted slightly more synthetic or kind of just trying to imitate a bacon flavor rather than, um, than anything more than that to me. Um, I'll have to say some of the other vegan bacons taste like they're probably a bit better for me than that one, but it did the job. Yeah. So I, similarly to you, I really, really was impressed with the sausages. They were, they were great. Um, I am a bit fussy about vegan bacon. I think it's one of the harder things to imitate as some, you know, a a plant-based meat. Uh, This isn't bacon is one of the brands um that's really really good um this one tasted yeah just a little bit too smoky for me and um like you said synthetic um but I think if you had it in your roast dinner with all your gravy and everything else then you probably wouldn't even you know you, you wouldn't be too bothered no and I have to say yeah if you were having it as part of a wider meal, it would definitely be a great solution. Real friendly price point. You could put it alongside, you know, your non-vegan pigs and blankets for the rest of the family if they're not vegan or plant-based. And, and it would be a great solution. And actually, during cooking, it really smelled like bacon. Yeah. Really smelled like bacon. So, um. Yeah, come you know the the brilliant sausages um, made it a great little product. Yeah, I've actually been in touch with Aldi this week, who are sending us their pigs in blankets too. So it'd be good to measure them up against each other and see which we prefer. Yeah, definitely. So on to the main course, the Wellington. Um, this is five pounds, so you know, sort of med- middle of the range price point. Um, what did you think of this? I have to say we loved it in our household and just thought it was really delicious, had a really nice uh, mustardy flavour in the sauce that was within the Wellington. Um, Just a, a great tasty solution. It definitely wasn't trying to imitate beef. Um, it wasn't even like pink in texture or anything like that, um, but it had a more meaty, substantial filling, this really delicious, creamy sauce. And then the pastry was great. So it was it was a hit in our, our household. We brushed it with some um, non-dairy milk, which really um, kind of glazed the, pre- the pastry. And we thought it was brilliant. We'll definitely buy that again. Lovely. Yeah, I really liked it. I did it um as sort of a midweek roast for Mm. our family of four it it didn't quite serve us all but then I think it's not really a product designed to be you know it's not a huge wellington I think it's designed for you know the few vegans within a a larger family completely Um, agree so you know that that was fine um yeah the middle is a bit like sausage meat it's quite herby isn't it Yes. Yeah. I'd say um the name no beef. I expected maybe something similar from the name to the Linda McCartney beef-esque product that exists. Um and actually the the center was definitely I agree more sausage like, but that was not a bad thing for me. It it was a really nice flavor and it worked really well with the pastry and the sauce. And yeah, I think we got three portions out of it, but probably on Christmas day where I'm 
inclined to eat more it would do too yeah <laughs> I think I've um over the last sort of few years I've become quite good at making my own um Wellington and I do like chestnuts and mushrooms and everything and I use one of the just rolls which are accidentally vegan um mm. so I use that so I'm used to kind of a huge one that you know you have leftovers with so but yeah a great product like you said and um yeah really good idea for you know if you have just one vegan coming round or or a couple and I think as well I'd like to see it stay beyond uh Christmas range because for a for a smaller household say just a couple if you if you live on your own or you're the only vegan person in your household and you know you don't want to miss out on your weekly Sunday roast and you perhaps have been out all day or don't have the time to make something homemade it really does fit the bill in terms of that if you've you know partner it with your roast potatoes loads of veg and a bit of gravy it's a really convenient solution and yeah. delicious yeah the pastry I love the pastry so I'm feeling full just talking about all this food <laughs> I'm feeling hungry just talking Are about you? all this food uh, I've had my tea uh, <laughs> so the the last uh product from the range because there's, there's quite a few different products they've got um no no prawn tempura prawns I think but um, due to COVID and supplier issues we weren't able to um, test those in time but the the vegan trifle I was really excited about because I did used to love trifle um, it's seven pounds so I did think oh it's a little bit pricey but it's huge isn't it mm, it is <laughs> we can <It's> test <laughs> It did. It lasted a couple of days. In I mean, we're only a household of two, um, but it did last a, a couple of days. A dessert after a couple of evening meals. So yeah, it's a, it's a big old portion. Yeah, it lasted here a few days as well. And usually things don't last very long at all. So yeah, I really like this. It's kind of got the overriding taste is kind of the the lovely light whipped cream with the sweet strawberry uh, jelly and strawberries in there. A dense sponge. And a really nice custard. We thought this was absolutely phenomenal. I have to say I'm the opposite to you, Holly. Not a trifle lover at all. Would never be something I would choose to have as dessert. And was really pleasantly surprised by this. It was it was sweet without being too heavy. It was one of those products where if I hadn't personally have served it myself, seeing a vegan packaging... I'd be worried someone had served me a non-vegan trifle. Yeah. It's really delicious. The cream is rich. The texture is amazing. The custard, the sponge, we loved it. Oh, that's fantastic. It's just so exciting how much these vegan products are coming on. Just, you know, just every single month, I just feel surprised by the quality of the products that the supermarkets are, you know, releasing. Mm. It's brilliant. It's amazing. And I honestly think if you served that at a Christmas meal or similar where you had non-vegans around the table, I would really challenge anyone to be able to spot the difference. Yeah, definitely. So that was our um, roundup for the Morrison's Christmas range. Another thing I spotted, um, I don't know about you, Gabriella, but I'm on a lot of the Facebook vegan groups. Accidentally Vegan Mm. is, is a really good one. Everyone's quite active on there. And um, a couple of days ago, someone posted about a new launch in Sainsbury's called it's uh, Nourish Vegan Camembert. Um, and it just looked incredible that the guy who posted said it melts like real camembert. This is the best cheese he's ever tasted in. I can't remember how many years he'd been vegan, but it was quite a long time. Um, so I kind of raced down to Sainsbury's today to try and find it. it unfortunately, it wasn't there. I live in quite a small uh, town so um they haven't obviously hasn't reached us yet and I can't find it online so I'm gonna do some uh, investigate investigative work this week <laughs> to try and track down this camembert because this seems like a really exciting launch into a mainstream supermarket amazing launch if the rumors are true yeah amazing and you hear so many people whose uh, vice or whose reason for not quite going vegan is cheese so if a mainstream supermarket can crack something like a camembert I think that would be would be huge it would be amazing yeah 
I um I have two favorite non-vegan camemberts which um will hopefully do for people in the meantime until we can hunt down this Sainsbury's alternative a little bit more expensive um and not as widely available but um Mouse's favorite which is an artisan vegan cheese brand they have a camembert style cheese um which is $8.99, so quite pricey. Um, doesn't melt in quite the same way, but still works in the oven and the flavour is absolutely delicious. I dream often about Mouse's favourite camembert, camembert cheese. And they also do a blue cheese, which is amazing. Nice. And then another brilliant one I found is from La Formagerie, um, which is a... Honest, honestly tasty chamembert eight pounds so again a little bit more on the pricey side um, but a really rich flavor um so until you can find your Sainsbury's alternative yeah um, or alongside your Sainsbury's alternative supporting some smaller artisan cheese brands as well yeah and um, those two I can highly recommend brilliant well just to remind uh, listeners, we, we won't be talking about all these indulgent foods <laughs> all the time. It's just, I think in the run up to Christmas, it's just nice to have some treats, isn't it? And, you mm. know, obviously we completely support a whole food plant-based diet. Later on in the episode, I'll be speaking to um, T. Colin Campbell. And uh, some of the things he says are mind-blowing, actually. And I was so inspired after talking to him. Um, but I think, you know, we've all had a tough year and um, I think this Christmas we just need some treats. And if, if that means some vegan cheese, and some chocolates and and, uh, you know, a bit of pastry, then I think there's worse things that we could be doing. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. Stay tuned to hear what the China study author has to say about diet, nutrition and COVID-19. Hi, Colin. Are you okay? Yes, good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honour to have you on the podcast. Um, so you're joining us all the way from America? Yeah, I'm joining from America, yeah. Yeah, whereabouts are you? Uh, in New York State. Oh, lovely. Okay. So your book, The China Study, was written almost 20 years ago now. Um, and it's Correct. it's still regarded as one of the most comprehensive books on health and nutrition. How did you come to write it? Oh, my goodness. Well, my career starts really, I'm serious about this. It started in what's my graduate studies uh, in the late 1950s. Right. So I've been at this business for a long, long time. <laughs> and, uh, I eventually, uh, of course, have had an academic position the entire time. I had students. I had support from our National Institutes of Health and so forth and so on. And, and I learned a lot, uh, all through science, all through the research. And uh, I was initially, as you may know, I was on the other side of the fence. I came from a farm. I, was, I did my graduate work in promoting the consumption of more animal-based protein, uh, you know, all of that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, eventually I got into some work in the Philippines with malnourished children, we're supposed to be giving them more protein, of course. That didn't work out. I saw some problems. I would, came back and did some research, et cetera, et cetera. And the more, more I got into the research, strictly from a research point of view, I, did, I didn't come to this. As, if anything, I came from the opposite point of view. And, and what I learned through all this research, published extensively, I got involved in national policy development, one thing or another, I just saw a whole big gap in the nutritional science community, of which I'm a member, yeah. a big gap in acknowledging, you know, this idea that maybe animal protein is not the best nutrient in the world. And so from that uh, realization, those, those, that research activity, um, you know, I, I didn't call it vegan or vegetarian. I didn't even know the word vegan. In the beginning, I was just simply talking about the science. Okay. So all that said, I'm sorry, such a long answer, but finally, uh, I got a lot of pushback, really serious pushback, you know, from the from my research community, from the policy community. Finally, my wife told me, she said, "Stop your complaining. Why don't you just write a book for the public?" <laughs> That's how I started. <laughs> so I did. 
so yeah. the, was the book the book was resu- the result of of 20 years of of research is that right no it's a, it's a, this is my 65th year uh at that time when i wrote the book in 19 in 2002 when i decided to write it uh, already at that time i had been in the business for 35 um you know 50 years almost yeah. it's incredible so I, I i published a lot and i was very uh, active in my research community i was active in national policy development as well so I've seen the whole the whole gamut, yeah. you know, of activity in this area, and uh, so I became quite enthused about you know exporting the ideas and the discoveries we had made. That's why I wrote the book. So, for anyone who hasn't read the China study, I, I know a lot of vegans will have read it because it's such a, a famous title. Um, but what were your main findings? Well, the first one is the one that captured my attention straight off. And that was that uh, we could, these are experimental animal studies, and I know vegans don't like that, but that's how I learned it, because we couldn't do that anyhow. In the case of humans, it's impossible. But we learned we could uh, turn cancer on and off just by dietary means, by nutritional means, I should say. And uh, more specifically, even, we could turn cancer on by giving them milk protein. Right. You know, coming from the dairy farm, I found that found, found that challenging. Yeah. But we could turn on the milk protein, and we could decrease it or replace it with plant protein. That was the big finding. Turn cancer on and off. That in turn led to another sort of kind of uh, shattering idea for the system, namely uh, cancer. I believe, in fact, I'm convinced of that. Our data showed that cancer is a nutritional disease; it's not a genetic disease. That's a big, big, uh, that's kind of a momentous kind of idea because the entire cancer industry is founded on the idea and is sustained on the idea that cancer is a genetic disease. And people in the cancer community will put that, they'll say that straight up. It's a genetic disease. It depends on what genes we have. It depends on what what, uh, mutations we may have of the genes we have, that sort of thing. When in reality, uh, we can take nutrition and control the expression of those genes. That's what we like to say in science. And and so that makes nutrition as the prime mover uh, and controller of whether or not cancer occurs. That in turn then extends to other diseases as well, because all diseases really start with genes. Yeah. And uh, right, just and it turns out the nutrition I'm talking about obviously is the the whole food plant based diet. It's really quite extraordinary. So. You presumably follow a whole food plant-based diet and have done for, for how long? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, my, my wife has been very good about this. We've been married for 58 years, Wow! I should say, uh, back in the late 1970s. At that time, I was getting research that was kind of very provocative and interesting, and we started to switch. And we did it bit by bit, and it took us about 10 years. She changed lots of recipes and stuff like that. And so I would say we've been fully uh, on board since uh, about 1991 or 92, something like that. So that's, what's that, 30 years? Yeah, incredible. Yeah. But you don't class yourself as a vegan, do you? Am I right in saying that? No, I don't. No. No, I don't. No, I, I should elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. I, I fully appreciate I fully appreciate the motivation, you know, for that choice. That's not the issue. Uh, I'm on board totally with that. But I just have to be honest. They say that, you know, that's not how I got here. I got here through the, just actually doing the experimental work and the research, which is generally, I have to say, is much, quite a lot more uh, convincing. So I've been told, you know, to uh, people in policy, people in the, in the higher echelons of science, you know, they, they will listen to the science, but they a lot of them aren't particularly keen on, you know, following the uh, motivation just to treat animals fairly. Right. And that's not what it's about. Yeah. So it's it's about health rather than. Do you see veganism as more than as an eth- ethical thing then? Yeah. It was. It, it was and has been from the beginning. Uh, yeah. And uh, from my perspective, uh, vegetarianism really started in England, by the way, back in eighteen hundreds. 
Right. Uh, more recent times, the word vegan came into play. And so that, that really was for um, animal welfare, primarily. Then in the last, what, what should I say, maybe the last 15, 20 years, maybe more, uh, a lot of people started to uh, espouse that idea from the health point of view. Yeah. So now we got to a couple of different groups of of motivations. Uh, one, one concern with animal welfare, of course, that's the historical one, but then also human health. And the one concerning human health, now we can add to that is some other things. We can add um, the cost of health care, which in the United States is a big thing. I know in the UK, it's you have, you know, uh, a single system, yeah. but we... Yeah. Spend lots of money here and we're wrecking our economy. That's number one. Number two is also uh, very much related to the environment. Yeah. So we got these different problems now facing us that we better start taking this idea seriously. So did you raise your children and, and are your grandchildren plant-based as well? Yes, we have five children. and They're obviously all grown now. And uh, there's, uh, they're very active. And now we have grandchildren, too. We have five grown children and 11 grandchildren. Oh, lovely. We have grandchildren already out of university. Wow. So, uh, we got, uh, there's about eight or nine of us in the family now are very actively doing things. Right. You know, and so, yeah, they, my, they got onto this here, uh, let's see, late 90s. They were already, at that time, some of them had already reached their teenage years, and they were coming in at and at that time, but they all did that. And right now, the 22 of us in our family, we're all 100%. That's absolutely amazing. That's so... There are no, no uh, backsliders. Yeah, that's something to be proud of. Your new book, did you write that with your grandson, was it, or your son? Yes. Yeah, he was a graduate in English, right? Uh, he was the top student in his class at the University of North Carolina. Very good writer. And so uh, he's been just fantastic. Uh, I think I'm slipping in my skills of writing. So he's been good. (laughs) It's called The Future of Nutrition. What can people expect from that? Well, you know, one of the one of the issues that came up for me. um, I don't know exactly. One thing that you may know the film Force Over Knives. Yeah. Well, that 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 uh, film really started because of the China study. The uh, producer and uh, uh, director of the, that film visited me one day and wanted to know if I would uh, work with them because they wanted to do a film. And I said, yes, and one thing led to another. I wasn't sure where it was going to go, but the film was quite successful. In any case, that film came out. And uh, you know, so I, I got quite a lot of uh, inquiries regarding that. Uh, and the question that I heard most often was, um, why haven't we heard this before? And so that attorney sort of got me into wanting to know how that happened. Uh, and I was also getting a lot of pushback at the time uh, earlier. Uh, and I spent a year at Oxford University in the, in Oxford. Uh, and at that time, I, it was really getting pretty intense, this pushback. And so uh, I decided to get into the history right. of where this, uh, this, quite frankly, this hostility came from. And so I spent time, a great deal of time, in two libraries in uh, in London, and uh, two in Oxford, and uh, start going back into history. And that was probably one of the most exciting things I did during my entire career. Really? Uh, yes. And so the new book, the new book, really is about, you know, where did this idea essentially where did it come from? Why is it so hard to? Uh, why, why is it so difficult for people to grasp onto it? Uh, and uh, so it has very deep historical roots, uh, which now have become part of institutions. Yeah. And institutions themselves become very powerful, as we all know. And uh, they, they have this concept that's referred, referred to as groupthink. Groupthink meaning, I'm sure you know that too. <laughs> when you become mem- a member of an institution or you depend on an institution, you better, you better talk that language. Yeah or you're tossed out or you don't get support, whatever. And uh, so now this is the state of affairs we have now. Worse than the United States than the UK, I think. Right. Although UK, UK, UK has the same problems. And uh, so it's, it's a story about the history. 
you know, here's, here's the history. Uh, it was really largely focused on more than anything. The history was focused on our, I call it reverence, our reverence for one nutrient in particular, and that was protein. And when that was discovered, um, it was generally considered to be only from animal foods. So it was commonplace to assume that when you talk about protein, you're talking about protein from animal foods. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, a little bit later on, they found it in plants too. But then, then the discussion came up to show that the protein in plants is not is not high quality. Only animal protein is high quality, which is a bit of mischief itself. Yeah. That hung around is not really true. And uh, so I write about that in the book. You know, what what is the history telling us? Uh, and so I'm really anxious to uh, to tell that story because I think it illuminates so much Definitely. of uh, the difficulties we're having. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I think, it, is it out just before Christmas? Yes, it's coming out uh, actually in uh, two weeks. Oh, love. oh, yes, of course. We're in December now, aren't we? <laughs> I keep forgetting where, what month we're in. Do people in healthcare in the United States, do they have nutrition training as part of their education? Because I know in the UK, it's very minimal. I think it's maybe one day out of four years of study or something crazy like that. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same in the UK as here. Right, uh, and that's part of my story. You know, why? Why did the medical profession? Why have they rejected that? Why don't they take it on board? Yeah, you know, they don't train doctors or nurses, uh, and it doesn't get into uh, into support for research. It doesn't get into the policy uh, community, uh, and so um, as I say, it's true in the UK as well as here. In the United States, we have another difficulty, though, and that is that. We have a healthcare system that is uh, basically very capitalistic, uh, first and foremost. And so there's this very strong feeling in this country that healthcare should be uh, privatized, which, in my mind, I feel very strongly about this. I think that's wrong. Mm -hmm. I've been an advocate for the UK system uh, and the European system in general. And so uh, we, this has become a huge political uh, sort of uh, football here in this, in this country, you know, about all the questions concerning health care. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not uh, adequate for a lot of people. And it's very expensive. And it's all, all focused on, you know, from this private sector, it's focused on who can, who can earn the most money. Yeah. Even if they have to stretch the truth. So it's a, that's part of the book. Yeah. So it's treat, you know, it's the focus, I guess, is on treating the, uh, the symptoms and the disease rather than actually, you know, coming up with a system that, that prevents it in the first place. Well, not, not only preventing, by the way, we have used that terminology a lot. And that's, that's the main part of the concept. But what's interesting about this is that we can use this actually to treat disease. Right. That's a whole dimension not terribly well known. We can, you know, reverse heart disease. We can reverse diabetes. We can reverse this and that. You know, as long as the whole food is not the individual nutrients, that's another issue uh, that my research really got me into that uh, people tended to think, and understandably so, that maybe we can get what we want by taking a few nutrients and pills. Yeah. And uh, that's not the way it works. No, certainly <laughs> not. not. It <laughs> uh, so it's, it's really uh, avoiding the consumption of those foods that causes the most problems, namely animal-based foods. Yeah. So, so anyhow, I, you know, once you get into, I mean, I, I really got uh, enthused about the science, to say the least. Um, and I, I can now see, especially after writing this new book, that it has a very deep roots in history. It's very deeply embedded in policy and all that sort of thing. And it's very, it has an influence on our lives in so many different ways uh, that then obviously we have to question, why are we you know, you know, killing so many animals just to eat the wrong food? Mm. What's the purpose of that? Yeah. And uh, I know that fairly well. Uh, it's kind of personal in a way because I'm come from a farm. 
I was raised on a farm. And so farming is not now a family venture. Right. Uh, it's really a big factory business. And, uh, you know, they do it, they, they treat these animals in incredibly, you know, uh, difficult ways. Yeah. For, oh, for what purpose? Other than making money. It's, yeah. it's, it's really insane that we don't need that food. In fact, that food really ruins our health. So do you feel hopeful for the future that we can make changes as society to move away from, you know, a meat and dairy based diet and factory farming and everything else that goes with it? I, want, I hope so. That's about all I can say. I, sometimes I get uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, a little bit disappointed, you know, with uh, mo- moving the needle, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I have some specific ideas in this country, especially having been in policy that could be done and are not now being done. One is one you just referred to. And that is let's train our young physicians in nutrition and tell them what nutrition really means. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's number one. And there, there's a way to do that. The governments can, in fact, uh, who are involved in giving support to medical schools, they can make that change. They can say you're not going to get any more support unless you have such and such a course. It's totally absent from the medical training. Yeah, absolutely. That's number one. Number two, um, in the United States and uh, true in uh, England, too, because it's ICRFN, ICRF in uh, Britain, the uh, international what is it, Imperial Cancer Research Fund was the old name. Uh, but in any case, they they uh, support the nutrition that we have in the two countries, both of those organizations. But they all have a, a, a budget set aside for nutrition studies, really. Uh, and so research is uh, floundering. We're not doing the kind of research that needs to be done. So we don't train our profession professionals. We don't, we don't support them with the research money that's needed to really develop some ideas. Um, and, uh, and furthermore, at least in the United States, this is not true in, in Britain, I guess, but in the United States, the problem is we don't reimburse doctors we're consulting with our patients, you know, about diet and nutrition. Yeah. Of course, that's pretty obvious that they don't know what to consult them with. I mean, they don't know what to tell them <laughs> to begin with. But anyhow, we, we have no mechanism for uh, physicians being compensated, you know, for their services if they choose to do so or if they yeah. really want to do that. And so it's a big, big problem. So do you think COVID has sort of helped or hindered the plant-based cause? Well, you know, we did a study in China that I'm sure you know about. Yeah. Uh, that was a massive big study, and uh, we did it twice. Uh, the second replication is not well known. The second part of it was not only China, but it's also Taiwan, which is kind of interesting. But in any case, we did a massive study to collect uh, incredible amounts of data on the causes of disease, lifestyle factors, nutritional factors, that sort of thing. It's by far, in a way, the largest collection ever. New York Times had the most in the history of medicine. But in any case, we have all this data, okay? The, it, it turns out that when the COVID thing came along, I just recalled, you know, we focused on, on a viral disease in China, a very serious one. In fact, it's a more serious viral disease than COVID-19, I should tell you. It kills more people. It's, it's a virus that causes liver cancer. Right. And there's something like, I don't know, 750,000 people die a year from that. I mean, it's just a huge, massive problem, mostly in Asia and Africa, but also in the Western countries. Um, and so we collected information there on the factors associated with immunity to that virus. Factors like the antigen, the presence of antigen, or the presence of antibody. So at that time, and this is now over 30 years ago, we collected the, that on, on a total of almost 9,000 people. And, uh, and, and so we call it uh, prevalence, prevalence of antigen carriers, prevalence of antibody carriers. And, and it turns out, and this is really pretty remarkable, it's highly, highly statistically significant, namely those who consume the most plant material form the antibodies. They're immune. Wow. Those consume animal food, and this is, this is really quite exciting, 
Those consume animal food, and it only takes a small amount. They don't form the antibodies. What they what they do, they maintain. They people that of that, and the body retains the active virus, and therefore causes liver cancer. So the people who get liver cancer, for example, in China, are the ones who consume a bit of animal food, and it doesn't take much. Right. It's really remarkable, and and those who consume some animal food, in turn, um, that that nutrient protein in this particular case, but in any case, it represses the development of antibodies or immunity. So how much so animal we, food are we talking? Are we talking, you know, the occasional bit of meat or? I think this is this is one of the most exciting parts of it. I, I didn't think the science ever supported the idea that we should, that everybody should avoid all animal food all the time. And we couldn't say that in the scientific sense as attractive as that, as that idea may be. Yeah. But in this particular case, we have real data to show that in China, the, the amount of protein or animal food or animal protein, let's say the amount of animal protein being consumed is on average only one-tenth of what it is in the U.S. and more or less in England too. Yeah. Only one-tenth. So it's a small amount. And there's some parts, we, we surveyed a total of uh, altogether 170 counties all over China, rural China, Taiwan, etc., and 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 so uh, there are some areas in China where they consume almost no animal food, maybe just on on feast days or holidays, that sort of thing. Uh, and so the the level of consumption at the time we did that survey back in the early 1980s, the level of consumption was very low. Yeah. But even so, even that small amount of uh, a small amount of animal food. It increased, it was highly associated with the increase in blood cholesterol, which is related to heart disease, which is also reflective of Western diseases too. And so at the same time, with this new data that I'm now just analyzing, submitting for publication, um, that these new data show that only a small amount, a very small amount of animal protein can have this effect. It's almost as poisonous. In fact, it is. I guess you could, we could really say it's poisonous. Maybe not in a classical sense, but quite frankly, when we consume even small amounts of animal protein, it uh, maintains the activity of the antigen for this hepatitis virus and depresses the formation of the antibody, which is uh, pretty striking. Uh, the, the big question here is this, I, I should say, I think one of the big questions, and, and that is that we're working with hepatitis B virus. This is not coronavirus. In other words, that's question that's point number one by way of uh, uh, you know criticism, I guess you could say, or critique. And um, but here, here here's the thing: all viruses, there's many of them. We have about I don't know ninety or something that's already been identified and given a, a medical number and so forth and so on. Been studied quite a bit. All the different kind of viruses we have, some are very serious: polio, AIDS. You know, some of them, and that sort of thing, some of them uh, are colds and flus. Uh, so virus is a class of pathogens that we haven't, it's received a lot of attention medically, but not nutritionally. Not nutritionally. And uh, what we're finding is that the whole food, plant-based diet, which I call it, really can go a long ways to repress the infectivity of that virus. Uh, and certainly maybe the most serious uh, serious uh, symptoms, at least. It's absolutely fascinating. And I think, you know, what I'm thinking is, you know, why why are we not? This has been out there, your research for, you know, over 20 years now, hasn't it? And there's been countless other studies since. So, you know, why are we not waking up to it? Why are the changes not happening? Right. Well, this is what I hope this new book will maybe stimulate some discussion. Yeah. You know, on the point. Uh, I mean, there's obviously the ethical argument. Now there's the human health argument. There's the environmental argument. There's economic argument. There's all this sorts of, uh, you know, uh, evidence that we can pull up to all say the same thing. So uh, we've got to change our ways. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Well, I'd encourage anyone to read The Future of Nutrition when it's out in a couple of weeks and obviously the China study as well. Um, you're obviously doing pretty well for your age on, on a plant-based diet. 
<laughs> yes, I, I am. I'm, uh, actually, I'm going to be 87 shortly. I don't take we don't take any pills. Wow, uh, that's my, amazing. My is 80, so we we don't use medicines, uh, not intentionally. I mean, I, I have in the past on on a couple of occasions, uh, but that's uh, not that I'm. It's not that I'm somehow averse to that possibility because I know that they do work. You know, just some circumstances, that's not the issue. But to re- rely on pharmaceuticals as a means of, of our health and forget everything else, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'll be 87 shortly, and uh, I'm still fairly healthy, not using. And that's maybe one. My, my dad was an immigrant from Northern Ireland, by the right. way. He's... Um, he's very much British oriented, <laughs> uh, quite frankly. But he had a heart attack when he was sixty-two. He was a wow. farmer; everything was going right, but he's eating wrong food. And he had a fatal attack when he was seventy. His brother had a fatal heart heart attack when he was fifty-eight. Gosh! So their father, my grandfather, he had a stroke when he was seventy-three. So it's in my family. Yeah. And uh, I I thought early on uh, when I started seeing some of this evidence that we better sh- do the right thing. And so I've well passed that. My wife, uh, she lost her mother to colon cancer when she was 51. Wow, that's young. And so, uh, you know, we, in our, in all families, we can all, all families can think of that kind of thing. You know, too, too many people have, uh, you know, lost the battle too much too early. And I think that um, if you just eat the right food, we can hang around for a while. Yeah. So. Well, you're a true inspiration. Thank you so much for chatting to me. Well, thank you for uh, doing what you do. I, I think that uh, I, I ought to think, I mean, what can we do to make the most difference? Yeah. Doing more research is helpful. I, I, I can tell you, I'll, I'll defend that proposition. But uh, at the same time, informing the public, finding ways to inform the public and, and letting the public know that, look, the science supports this idea. There's no mistaking of it. Yeah. Uh, if we can understand, too, to some extent, why we believe what we believe, that's helpful. Yeah. That's helpful. If you see where we went wrong in the past, it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, I hope I hope next year, obviously, we've got Veganuary coming up shortly. So, um, and I think it's going to be a, a record, a record year for it. So let's hope we get lots of new people eating plant-based next year. Well, you, you know, you, 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 before you just asked this question, I, I think, you know, the coronavirus thing, I think yeah. it's an opportunity. Yeah, I do. Uh, I submitted, a, a, I'm submitting it now. I just finished writing it. Uh, my favorite journal is Nature, which is a British publication, as you may know. Yeah. Um, published in there before. So I'm submitting it to uh, for their consideration. It's not yet published. But I'm getting my fingers crossed. I think that uh, and if it gets in nature, it's just a big play. You, you know, the whole food plant-based diet is uh, is capable of uh, stimulating immunity, let's say, to the different viruses. That's one thing. The, one, of the, one of the questions people want to ask is, how long does that take? Do I, If I start eating now, does, will this take months or whatever? No, it's interesting. When people switch to a whole food plant-based diet, you know, the whole way, we see changes in matters of one to two days. Wow. Serum cholesterol for as one indicator. Serum cholesterol will drop a, a, a ton by huge percentage points within uh, two or three days. And for diabetics who are on insulin, let's say, for example, the diabetics, they're obviously taking the, the medication. If they switch to a whole food bed-based diet and still take the medication, they have a high risk of running into hyperglycemic shock. Wow. Because the, the dietary effect is so strong, when it's combined with the medication, their blood sugar may plummet right. and they're in trouble. So now the doctors who are doing this are telling their patients almost straight off, you know, taking the medication away when they go into this diet. It's that powerful. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a, it can happen fast for those who might be concerned about getting the coronavirus and symptoms of that sort. My bet is, my bet is that um, if they could switch right away, it's probably one of the best uh, procedures they could follow. Um, 
I, I know we were working with hepatitis B virus, a different virus and then a coronavirus, but all the viruses go through the same immune system. Yeah. And, you know, the mechanisms are all quite different, but nonetheless, it's all the same as far as the outcome is concerned. People consuming plants have a much less risk of separate consequences of the virus. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, let's yeah. hope we can get lots more people on board for health reasons and also... You know, I think people right. are waking up to the environmental concerns, aren't they? And also, you know, seeing things like the the fur farms um, in Denmark where, you know, all the mink, I think it was millions of mink, wasn't it, that have had to be culled um, right. be- because it's spreading there. So, you know, I think hopefully that will drive people as well to, uh, to, to you know, to rethink their diets and their lifestyles. Right. Yeah, there's so many things, you know, that's impacting uh, or, or derived from this message. And uh, I think if we understand the science properly, uh, then it's easy to see how that, in fact, you know, we got the science wrong, we got the medical practice wrong. Uh, if we really understand what that science is, a lot of things could change. Yeah. So I'm kind of partial to the idea of uh, somehow conveying to the public that, you know, the science is there. And uh, if anyone wants to dispute it, well, then come forth. Show me the data. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, 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 so, I mean, you've pretty much dedicated your life to that, haven't you, really? Yeah, I didn't, I guess, intend to do it that way, but that's the way it came out. Because, <laughs> yeah. uh, as, as time went forward, um, we kept discovering exciting things. That uh, it was fun. I, I really like science. and. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 